is up internet. Perhaps forgiveness can be in some instances confused with permission. My name is Matthew Kroll. Let me tell you another story about Ruth and Cheryl. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Women Talking, which... Sadly, during this podcast, you will, will not, not hear. hear. Uh, yeah, we, <laughs> we really have to contextualize, based on the title alone, that this we are completely the wrong people. Not not the wrong people, but we are missing the point. No, it's not even we're missing. We're aware of the point. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yeah, we're aware of the point. <laughs> we're just incapable of doing anything about it so we are acknowledging at upfront that if you are here to hear an insightful conversation about women talking by the appropriate audience you are going to get two of those three things yes there you go <laughs> you're going to hear no, an insightful and, 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 conversation actually, i will say this i will say this yeah because it's the only thing i can say yeah uh <laughs> This movie's good for men too. Oh, I look, I have like, lots of thoughts about the movie. Yes. But I'm saying on a purely fundamental It's kind of good for everyone. Yeah. Fundamental No, no, no uh, fundamental uh what would have been smart on our part is to not only have a female guest or or you know, I think uh, was it Just a non-cis dude would be great. <laughs> was there was there one episode I was not there for where there was an all-female replacement for the podcast, one episode. Didn't that happen once? Uh, yeah. With Jamie uh, and uh, Elise and... Yep. And, um, and uh, uh, the other uh, co-host uh, sh- of, sh- of, uh, of Speaking of, sh- of Carrie. No, not Shalia. Yeah. Okay. Um, but there was an all-female episode of this, of this podcast, It right? was for Ocean's 8. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm just saying the appropriate thing to do in the context of the movie would have been for us to do something like that. But we are uh, time... No, we I'm going to con- say this. I'm going to say this. The better thing would have been that. I 100%. still think we can have an appropriate conversation about I'm this film. not denying that at all. I'm just, just putting it out there that uh, in a movie entitled Women Talking, here are two men with their opinions. <laughs> we will be playing the roles of the horses. <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> And we and, and also we acknowledge that if that is a barrier to entry, that is fine. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but this this film is uh, one of the Oscar noms for best picture that I was uh, most excited to watch, and the last one actually that I was able to watch uh, because I bought it today on digital so I could watch it. And uh, now you own it. Yeah, and now I own it. Now you own it. Uh, um, yeah, my this, my. This... My sorry, sorry, I was gonna say my my weird uh, Amazon Prime. Like I only buy movies digitally when I have to watch them for the podcast. Uh, So my collection is like a madman's. Right, like it makes no sense. (laughs) Like the algorithm knows not what to try to sell me. Uh, I I think mine has tenant. It has um, women talking. It has uh, what was the the uh, the Ben Affleck film, The Way Back. Yeah, uh, The Way Back. I yeah. have that. Yeah. I have Free Guy. Free Guy. I have now Women Talking. Yeah. I, I I should have wrote them down. I was just go. I was scrolling through, but I only have like six or yeah. seven, and I was like, "Who is this?" <laughs> you are a podcast host. Hear me roar. I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, this also was an interesting <laughs> film. Yes, it is the the last of the Oscar nominated films that we, or the Best Picture nominated films. Uh, so it'll be. But prior to your Oscar uh, watching on May the uh, on March the twelfth, you will be able to go back across all of our opinions if you wanted to of our Best Picture nominees and hear what we've had to say about all of them, which will also give us a better informed uh, conversation because we will be doing an Oscar uh, related episode on that week as well. Um, I believe after this episode, Shahir, we have two special episodes. We, we do. The we next have the- one is our top ten of twenty twenty two. Yeah. And then the next one is the Oscars. And if we were smart, we could have combined those two. I guess we could have had like a we could have had like a Topam Oscars and a Real World Oscars, right? I mean, we kind <laughs> of are doing that. I mean, the the I don't know. I'm looking forward to. I, I was actually I was out to dinner with uh, Patrick Willems, friend yep. of the show, and uh, his, his uh, best of thing is coming out soon as well for 2022. And we were just uh, oh, so he took a, this long as well. Yeah. So yeah. wait, all this bitching about us taking long. Oh, I think <laughs> I, I I bitched to him too. I said that I I think this is ridiculous. Uh, but my point is, is my point is my point is my point is we were both very excited to start talking about more films in 2023. Although like, the first like, film I want to do, which is going to be a hard sell, is EO, 
the best foreign nominated film about the donkey. I, look, <laughs> can we do it on an off week or something? Like, no, I, I, off week could be the first week after the Oscars. <laughs> no, like, let's just. Do, can we see Cocaine Bear or something? Like, come on, man. No, I care thee not. No, actually, Cocaine Bear. Cocaine Bear. I'm going to call it Cocaine Bear from now on. It's fine. Um, I am. I. 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 I'm excited to see that. I like Elizabeth Banks as a director. Yeah. Um, but uh, just a little bit of Oscar controversy here. Um, BK Rewind has a great video about this, but also a friend of mine who's a journalist uh, reached out and asked, you know, like, who do we talk to about the Oscars? Because this year's Oscars has, has been not mirrored in controversy, but the nomination process has come into question as uh, one particular nominee seems to have circumvented the normal elaborately ployed multi-million dollar machinery of lobbying to have a nomination um and uh, again bk rewinds video about uh, andrea Reisenberg, reisberg's uh nomination for the film to leslie um really highlights kind of both the hypocrisy the interest the 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 hypocrisy and the resist and the amazing sort of like resistance of the against yeah. the system uh that caused that nomination now the reason that is of interest in relation to women talking is the film that people seem to be talking about as one that is snubbed uh, is The Woman King, the Gina Pli uh, Prince Blythewood film starring Viola mm -hmm. Davis, which would, if we just count those three things, would have made it a historic nomination uh, had it been nominated. One, again, for an African-American woman, uh, African -American woman for uh, Best Actress, and Af the first ever nomination for an African-American uh, female director, and another, uh, another nomination for Best Picture. Um, and the interesting part of that conversation will be how women talking again another film which not a lot of people have seen uh hasn't done a lot of bo uh, box office receipts um, it was only available as of yesterday as to only buy. available as of yesterday on vod and that mean the 21st the 20th yeah um 20, yeah. uh so you know like what uh, how how that sort of places that in context now uh my position on this has always been uh the oscars are not the be-all and end-all uh, conversation about what is the best and worst movies of the year or uh, best movies of the year, what have you. It is a industry inside um, a award ceremony that we have all bought into and that we that we watch. Uh, and it is also, uh, it has a massive cultural, cultural, cultural footprint and therefore we must pay attention to it. Um, yeah, it's a big commercial. It's a big commercial we all decided to believe in. Exactly. And uh, um, I, I'm very much looking forward to watching Izzy's video. It's been on my like to playlist yeah. uh, for a bit. Uh, so yeah, for what's been out like two days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and, and, <laughs> but, and just how this plays into this conversation about women talking. Um, but... Shall we talk about that after we get through some emails? I, I suppose so. I mean, this being the last Oscar. Actually, ooh, uh, weirdly enough, Shahir, mm -hmm. momentous event in, I guess, justice for my liver. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. I'm actually drinking, for the first time, the last beer in my fridge since the pandemic. Okay. <laughs> what that means is, since the pandemic started, I have always had at least one beer in my fridge. Right. Right now, there's no beers in my fridge. Okay, and what? So is that? Is, are you I don't the know. Shakes? What am I? What am I? What's my barometer here? Of uh... nothing. I just <laughs> thought it was interesting. I was like, man, I've never throughout this entire thing, I never stopped buying beer, and I just had just stopped recently. And I, I was like, ah, interesting. Is, are, are you giving up drinking? Is that not at all? Okay, I just I, I just <laughs> think it's a weird. Thing. I was like, oh, it's the last movie. It's the last movie. I don't know. It was just a fun little, uh, fun little thing. <laughs> Remind me to uh, to message you when I when I run out of Oreo cookies, please. <laughs> Which is never going to happen. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's silly. I don't know. With the things we stock up on that are like the comfort or like whatever, and then have it sort of change. I was. Just, I don't know. I don't know why a moment of ennui or whatever hit me when I opened my fridge, and I was like, huh. Yeah. Well, perhaps uh, the ennui could uh, uh, fall over into Kellen's email, who uh, reached out to us about the AMC situation. Uh, as we mentioned last week, AMC has decided to offer tiered uh, pricing, seat pricing, or, or is proposing tiered seat pricing until, of course, um, uh, public backlash <laughs> like this goes as far. There is a follow-up email to this, which actually has a really good point about this. So I want to read Kellen's email first, and then uh, into the next one after that, where you can have that. Uh, but Kellen said, I've mentioned this before, but my local multiplex upstate is an AMC, and the next closest theater chain is about an hour's drive away. I totally agree with both of you that tiered ticketing is a bad idea. And if cinemas are really having a tough time getting people back in the theaters, this approach isn't it. Personally, 
it wouldn't affect me because 99% of the time we sit in the second row on the far right. But more people might be sitting in my area if those sweet center seats are more expensive. To Shahir's point about the other entertainment, uh, other entertainment like concerts and sporting events always having tiered pricing, they are usually at the highest levels like the Met and Madison Square Garden. So if we're talking about Grumman's Chinese Theater or theaters like at Lincoln Center, I can totally see it. In lower socioeconomic communities like mine, the arts and entertainment and sporting events we have, the concerts, stage shows, and athletics at the local colleges and community spaces are all one price for a ticket regardless of where you sit. I just hope AMC realizes that what it's, um, that's what most people have in their towns and that movie theaters are part of that experience. Thanks again for your thought on film, uh, thoughts on film news outside or whatever movie you're discussing each week. Oh, thanks, uh, that's, that's, that actually really raises a good point, which is that, again, we live in a big, big city. Um, so for us, uh, the tiered seating is kind of part of our lively, you know, lives. Uh, but, yeah, it, you know, if you go to a small town. I mean, um, most stuff that I go to doesn't have tiered seating. Hell, I went to sleep no more. You just walk around in that. There's no seats. Yeah, right. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> I bet you that. I bet you that. I wonder if there is. It's exactly the same <laughs> as what we're talking about. No, uh, I... I, although I recently I did see when is Phantom closed? Like, is it done or is it still going? I don't Phantom? know. It, Phantom of the Opera. Oh, Phantom of the Opera. Uh, um, yeah. uh, no, not the Billy Zane film. Yeah, I know. So, uh, <laughs> I got into a the, conversation about that this week. I did you? Like, yeah. Uh, no, I, I, when we went, uh, I wanted to see Phantom before it closed because I never, I never saw it. Yeah. Beforehand, and when we were looking at t- that was the first tiered ticket system I think that I bought in a very long time. Right. Um, but that's Broadway, and that yeah. makes sense. So yeah, no, this makes this this a hundred percent checks out. Sidetrack. We should do. Is it Brian De Palma's uh, Phantom of Paradise? The the sort of erotic horror that's sort of the Phantom of the Opera. Oh, I don't like? know. Yeah. But you know what I you know what yeah. I do know. What's that? Affleck was the bomb in Phantoms. <laughs> he was the bomb in Phantoms. Actually, we should. Talk- Anyway, continue. Ah, we're going to get sidetracked. You want me to talk about Ryan's email now? Yeah, hit me okay. with Ryan. Ryan writes, I want to offer my quick perspective on all's quiet on the Western Front. Uh, all quiet, excuse me. I always pluralize it. It's not what it is. Yeah. Anyway, back to the email. I completely understand why the film may not have landed entirely for either of you, but I found it quite moving. <laughs> While I do agree with uh, the anti-war message itself may have been a bit redundant, I personally feel that filmmaking is the subject matter is making the subject matter more accessible to a modern audience. In my lifetime, the majority of historical war films that have covered World War II from an American perspective, telling stories that promote heroism and bravery... Uh, That's been the majority of them. This film was a stark tonal contrast for me, showing the horrific reality of a boy falling victim to propaganda and losing all of his friends to a truly meaningless conflict. Additionally... Aside from 1917, which in my opinion was more of a technological filmmaking feat than an attempt to accurately portray the horror of a conflict, I absolutely agree with that. Um, I can't recall many films trying to portray the First World War. I had personally never seen this story adapted, and while perhaps it may make me a bit naive, I found it humanized the horror of the conflict in a way that I hadn't seen in recent popular media. This was a sentiment I heard from many of my peers as well. I also had the opportunity to see the film on the big screen, which really benefited my viewing experience. The cinematography and sound design weren't done justice on the small screen. Again, I completely see where you were coming from. Just wanted to share my viewpoint. That is all excellent stuff. I'm going to pause the email here real quick. Uh, Yeah, no, that makes a thousand percent sense. Um, and that's also the opinion we were asking for because for us, exactly, we we felt that the 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 anti-war message was perhaps uh, clearly understood and heard. And what more could you offer about it that we didn't understand at this point? Uh, but but that perspective that we had may also be somewhat naive in that not everyone knows that yeah. or or feels or even feels that way. It's um, almost as if it's complicated. Yeah. Um, but the no I, to to that point, I think the uh, the thing we didn't really touch on was I've seen films do this, but not as often, like you sort of say. Uh, showing sort of the exact other side of the conflict from the grunt's perspective. Right. Like, it, there is a humanizing aspect to, oh, shit, everyone was in this shit, just this, like, the, the, on the boots on the ground kind of folks. Right. So, I don't know. Uh, I'll continue the email. There's one more thought here. <clears throat> 
One quick thought about the AMC Sightline situation. In LA, individual tickets are already nearly the same cost as a month of AMC A-List. By raising the price on the most desirable tickets, subscribing is going to be a no-brainer for many people. It's my theory, ooh, that AMC isn't really planning on selling many increased price Sightline tickets. Rather, it's a ploy to create membership increases for the A-List. A-List is completely unaffected by Sightline prices, and the A-List line for concessions is always packed. Uh, that's true. <laughs> that's uh, I'd probably see three times as many movies I'd otherwise would because of A-List and because it's air quotes, I love it, I do this too, free. Yeah. Uh, I find myself far more likely to spend money at the theater. Just my two cents. Brilliant. Yeah, that is that. That is a really good read on it, uh, especially you just look at the economic incentives for you know buying a subscription model. Yo, uh, versus... and I've never thought of it. I've never thought of it. He's a thousand percent right you here. I buy way more fucking concessions because I go and I have it in my head that it's fucking free. Right. Like, it's not. Right. It's not. Although, and also, been side note, I haven't been to the theater in like two or three months and I'm right. still <laughs> So I'm just like, God. Wait, no, but didn't you go see Ant-Man? Yeah, but that was a private screening. Oh, okay. Um, uh, so I, I didn't use my A-list. I was supposed to go see Cocaine Bear with it tomorrow night, but actually tomorrow night... In the past, I'll be over on the Dwarven Forge uh, Twitch channel because their Kickstarter's got four days left, and everyone should donate to that if they already haven't. Okay. Uh, it might be too late by the time this comes out, but maybe not. All right. No cocaine bear then. Mm-mm. Uh, Hassan writes in, hope you're doing well. I recently, uh, and by the way, Hassan uh, has been, uh, as far as I understand, listening to a lot of episodes from the back catalog. Uh, he had emailed before saying that uh, he was hoping to get to the to this following movie. So Hassan, uh, thanks again for doing that. We really appreciate it and we hope you enjoyed that. You made it! Uh, I recently finished watching The Assassination of Jesse James and after the credits rolled, I finally understand the phrase, poetry in motion. From the opening narration set to an amazing melancholic score, this is a masterpiece of cinema in my opinion, and that I admit, I don't understand the voodoo out of cinematography, but this is one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. And I love the facial tick that Casey Affleck did throughout the film, which gave him a slimy vibe to it. It's an amazing film. It's a shame that Warner Brothers hasn't released this film on 4K so I can add it to my collection. Fingers crossed for maybe a Criterion release. Um, I'm just going to pause the email there. Um, again, I'm so glad, uh, Asan, that you've uh, found that film and that you enjoyed it and that and that we may have played a small part in that. It is, one of, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful films ever made, uh, Roger Deakins' film. Um, so really great. I want to point this out as well because I owe Jonathan Blade a, a follow-up email. A while back when we, when we did that episode, uh, I think you asked the question, Matt, uh, could what would this uh, the narration in that film sound like if somebody else did it, if it had a different complete right, tonal, right, 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 tonal right. quality? And Jonathan Blade bless him, actually wrote us in and provided that email. And I, even to the point where I said, hey, this is amazing. Could you send it to me clean so I could recut it to the actual music um, properly so that I, so I could, you know, like actually put it together and I'll put it up. Oh, on he sent Twitter. audio. Yeah, he sent the audio. Oh, and, wow. And I haven't done I it that? because I'm a dick and I apologize. I just want to say, Jonathan Blade, thank you again for doing that. It was seen. It is beautiful. It is a stark reminder that you have a, mar- <laughs> a farce superior radio voice than either Matt or I will ever have, but also putting it to good use and also uh, proving the, the I think the Matt's hypothesis, which is that the narration of that film has a particular tenor to it, uh, which is really beautiful. And, if, and from my understanding from the memory of that conversation is that that is one of the editors or something like that on the film. Hmm. Um, well, we some, got great faces for radio, though. Yeah, so. we do have great faces for radio, especially me yeah. with my long hair that's like a... Uh, you look like a professional wrestler right now. I Everybody at home, like she here yeah. records in his closet because it's quiet in there and whatever, yeah. but he's got this like just like loose tank top and hair down to like almost where his nipples would be. It's curly, so like... I, it, I've it, got it, hair it, down to my titties. Yeah, and <laughs> and like he's just got this whole... You know what it is? It's a weird... It, the beard throws it off a bit, oh, but you've yeah. got a bit of like a Razor Ramon vibe going on. I don't know who that is, but... Oh, uh, one of my favorite wrestlers from <laughs> Back in the late '90s, um, <laughs> it was rid- a ridiculous stereotype, as were they all. But uh, man, wow! Uh, the, I, I actually I, I read this email in advance, and I wanted to uh, speak to this specifically. And I know we will get to women talking. Yes, in an episode about women talking, you're just hearing men talking, not about the thing that they should be talking about. We we, we talking that. about emails <laughs> from other men. Uh, the next question is aimed more towards Shahir, since he seems to enjoy foreign cinema a lot. Apologies to Matt. I don't. Hey, think... <laughs> how do you I watch? Uh... <laughs> 
uh, <laughs> my, my, you, you want to do goes, EO, right? You want to do the donkey? I want to do Umberto D, motherfucker, <laughs> but we're never doing that. We, I bought you that, didn't we? Do it? No, no I, you I bought, bought you it for me. I own it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, anyway um, Hassan continues. How do you keep your love of foreign cinema going? In the past, I used to be able to enjoy foreign films, regardless of genre films like House, Old Boy, Lady Vengeance, Tom Popo, Kurosawa's Ran, Seven Samurai, Seventh Seal. But lately, I have no desire to watch Parasite or Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Wish you all the best. Um, Hassan, I actually wanted to answer this question really specifically because um, uh, something that kind of happened to me a couple of weeks ago, or something that, you know, like something that's been in the ether with me for recently, which is that I am on the kind of the journey for my first feature film right now, and we have producers, and we're applying for grants, and financing, and funding, and international co-production money, and all this sort of stuff. And in, in amongst that, I have to write um, a lot of documentation about why I should be making a film. Um, and, and, and one of the, and oddly, a question came up in one of these uh, proposals, which was, what about my film is diverse and and I and and I sort of huh. stopped and I had to think about that for a while I was like oh I, I, I guess I am the thing um, and I you know recently revisited uh, Fiji and I started thinking about Fiji and I looked up Fijian filmmakers uh, because I would be one of them you know if I make this film sure and that list of Fijian filmmakers includes only one other filmmaker um, a gentleman by the name of uh, Virsoni Heronico, uh, um, whose film I have never seen, and what what that made me realize is I come from a country. I was born in a country which has no national cinema of its own. Maybe one, you know, one or two films like that. So my point is, to me, every film is a foreign film. Everything is a foreign film. And this was never more noted to me than in 2005 when I went to the local video store in New Zealand. And I was looking through the foreign film section. And lo and behold, a New Zealand film was in the foreign film section. <laughs> Jesus. And I'm in New Zealand. And the reason it was in the foreign film section was because it had an Indian person on the cover. And it was about an Indian person in New Zealand. So in New Zealand, I was a foreigner. And my point there is that every American film to me is a foreign film because I am not American. Well, I'm not born of America and, and every film is a foreign film to me. So my point, I guess that I was trying to make when you say, um, how do you keep your love of foreign film alive? Is that every film is a foreign film to me. And if we really think about it, um, the power of cinema is the ability not to show you things that are from your world, but to show you things that you don't know. And make it relatable. And that is everything. And that is beyond the language barrier. And, and you know, like, I, I think that's the, you know, like when um, Bong Joon-ho said, if you can get over the, the two-inch barrier of subtitles, you open up the world to, you, you know, to yourself. I think that's what I'm trying to say about cinema is that, is that it is the world. And the, the idea, I, I don't know, yeah, just the Fast and the Furious is a foreign film to me. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, to be fair, it's a foreign film to a lot of us, right? But if but we, I, I'm, I'm, I'm making light yeah, of your point. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I get what you're saying. You know what I mean? And and um, women talking is a Canadian film. It is a foreign film to almost everyone here. But you know that doesn't you know like it's nominated for best picture. My point uh, being is that we are um, we are only limited by the boundaries that we set for ourselves. I'm going to say this too. It's funny, and and I I do not besmirch uh, Hassan for for thinking that I don't dig uh, foreign films as much as Shahir does. I think the the my, what my my slight correction would be I do not seek them out as much as Shahir does. And by foreign again, I'm not. I'm even talking sort of beyond. I'm talking about like uh, non English films that are not distributed uh, at least a little bit in the United States, sort of thing. Or you know what I mean. Um, but at the same time, the list that Hassan gave, I've seen ninety percent of those and love those movies. And to to the to answer the question from sort of a different uh, perspective is like how how to keep that sort of thing alive, especially if you if you're not feeling it. Here's here's the fun weird thing about sort of media consumption and the way our lives move. Um, it changes, right? And that's not to say that like honestly, if you're not feeling you know, watching a film with subtitles or, or specific foreign films or whatever right now, that's totally fine. I I think you'll probably swing back around to them. Like, I, I honestly believe, like, I don't even think about it even that far. Like, 
yeah, my brain registers, of course, if a film has subtitles and it's in a language that I don't understand. But like, I don't ever like seek out or not seek out films specifically because of that. Right. I'll be in various moods. Sometimes I'd, I'm, I'm in the mood for some deep introspection and, and, and doing that little bit of uh, two-inch lifting to get over the hump to see something beautiful that I've never seen before. Sometimes I want to watch Deadpool 2. Like, like it's, it's, it's all about, for me anyway, my specific mood. And those tonalities and those moods change in long form. Like, I'll go on kicks for months at a time, and then I'll swing back down to more either art house or foreign or things that are outside of that specific, you know, dummy comfort zone and, you know, go back and forth. So that's the cool thing about film, too, is is your experience with watching cinema can evolve and change. And the best part is you can always go back when you feel like it. That it's a it's a literal recorded medium, unless of course you're talking about things on streaming services that they're taking off to not pay people streaming rights. But we're not talking about that, right? We are talking about <laughs> Sarah Polly's film, uh, Women Talking. Thank you, Assad. We, for we finally me. got there. Uh, Matt, could you tell us what Sarah Polly's Oscar-nominated feature film uh, is about? Boy, howdy! I you know I don't want to tell you. I'm gonna have IMDb tell you. Do nothing. Stay and fight, or leave. In 2010, the women of an isolated religious community grapple with reconciling a brutal reality with their faith. 10 out of 10 description, little bit of mood, totally on point of what the film is about. If I had to give the Oscar for the best IMDb description for the best picture nominees, I would give it to this description. There you go. This thing like actually gets me like hyped, like hyped to watch it. So uh, tell me what you thought of the movie. You said you were excited to see this. I was excited. So I've heard of the story that this is based on, which was in Bolivia, Eastern European immigrants. Uh, I'm trying to remember the exact thing, but I'd heard of the, I've heard of the tale of it uh, uh, before that was then turned into the novel, and now it was made into the motion picture. Um, I am a huge fan of, again, movies that show me things that I cannot live and have not seen. I am a fan of, uh, while I am not a fan of religion, I am a fan of religious debate. And that is something that I heard was uh, very prominent in this film. And uh, honestly, the the cast alone is fucking nuts. You got Rooney, Mon- Rooney Mara, you got uh, Jesse Buckley, you got Francis McDormand. And then you have like people that I, I, I gotta say, your quote was actually from the character Greta, mm. who uh, played by uh, uh, Shalia McCarthy, I believe it is. Yeah, uh, I have not seen her in anything before. She kind of stole the movie for me in a weird way. Yeah, she's great. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to check out other stuff from her. Anyway, I just I was very um, I was very curious, and uh, and the movie went places I did not expect. I think. Um, I don't know. I, I dug it. I I There's only one minor gripe I have with it. Uh and we'll get to it later cuz it's honestly not important. Okay. <laughs> what about you? Um yeah, I I uh I I I I got home very late last night and I I I put this on and I was actually quite uh excited to see it because I really enjoyed Sarah Polly's uh film um, stories we tell, and uh, the previous one with Michelle Williams and Seth Rogen, uh, which I actually own. Um, I think it's not called Talk to Her; it's something something along those lines. Sorry if I've forgotten the title right now. Uh, it, it was. I remember there's a sequence in that film that just it was staggering. Um, and she is, of course, a, a well-known director as well. Um, I left this film staggered, and um, I think it's very. It is. I. I I, I do throw the phrase around a lot, uh, and I and I I thought about what your response to this would be when I when I was gonna, when I'm saying what I'm about to say, but 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 at the same time I was like, no, this is this is how I feel about it. Um, and the second thing is I wanted to make sure that we will eventually get into this conversation because we're doing this in the context of an Oscar-nominated feature of like where it stacks up in the Oscar race, yada yada yada. And part of me just doesn't care about that. I, I lost the thread. Yeah, um, I, I I sidestepped there for a second. So the thing okay. that I was thinking about is that this is a perfect movie. This is an absolutely perfect movie uh, in every way, shape, and form. I was enraptured from moment one. I felt that this was a film that um, dealt with the heart of, you know, like with the 
with the absolute heart of the horror that is going on in this movie with both grace and as and and correctly placed indignation which made me incredibly angry but also um dealt that with that rage with tenderness and care in a way that is incredibly difficult to exp- to express and articulate in a conversation about this movie let alone write a narrative that is that th- thread lines that idea um the idea that we can deal with how to reform a community entirely um, through by replacing what is at the heart of it patriarchy and evil with Mm -hmm. love and care and there are moments in this film that I think are absolutely staggering Um, my breath was taken away more than on more than one occasion Um, and at the I there was a breathlessness to where this film ends and a triumph to the way this film ends that left me soaring when I, when I finished watching it. Um, I, basically, uh, the conclusion of the film, again, without giving away spoilers at this point, um, has to do with the decision that these women come to and the acceleration which that decision has to happen. And if, for me, any second today, and it's only been a day since I've seen this film, any second that I stop and think about that decision, all I can think about is the absolute, like, the profound courage that this film depicts in those women for, to do what they have to do. Because if you just think for a second about what it is they're trying to do and the way in which this film interrogates that idea from almost every angle, yeah, it is nothing but one of the most... Um, mesmerizing and uplifting tales of heroism I think I've ever seen in my life. And, and, and again, I don't say it lightly. This is a perfect movie in my opinion. Like absolutely in every way, this is a perfect movie. And not, not to get to the perfect movie debate, but I've always said it's like saying something's a perfect movie for you is not a, is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Like you can do that. It's the, the, that's great. That's cool. Um, the, the way that this movie, something I really respected about it was the way that it handled the traumatic incidents at the core of what was, why they were debating either staying and fighting or leaving. They, well, there was a vote to stay and do nothing, too, but that that didn't make it. And like Minor spoilers, They the women come together when the men are away. Uh, they've been sexually assaulted in a brutal way uh, for years at this point and then lied to about what was happening to them. Basically, they were being drugged. Um, and, the, and, and then they come together to vote, and it was either to stay and fight to to maintain to gain control in their home or leave and start something new um the way that this movie never relishes in the tragedy and it makes you feel more like the tragedy is inescapable like the the from the perception of the movie the movie doesn't want to remember the bad things but it can't not you know what I mean? Like it it you have flashes of the horror, you have flashes of the evil. It doesn't like linger in it. And I think that's very masterful like not only in a method of storytelling to make this the the film as effective as it is, but also to kind of like get more into the characters' heads uh and see why they are reacting during the debate the uh, of what to do. The way that they are, there's very different characters with very different ideas of how this should all be handled. It covers a lot of bases of the way people actually deal with, move forward from traumas that they've faced. I I couldn't stop thinking sort of about what, how do I put this? The bravery of even just thinking about bailing, like on everything you know. Like essentially, and it's not the same thing, but like, just picking up, saying "fuck it," grabbing what you can carry, and leaving to parts unknown that you know you don't understand. 
that's incredibly brave. I don't think I could do it. The, the, the sad truth is the in the actual story of this, uh, the, 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 the real life events in Bolivia that, uh, uh, that the, uh, this was based on, the women did not leave from what I understand, which is why. Right. I, I actually don't know the, um, the uh, real story. Continue. No, I was just saying, like, flashing the horror rather than reveling in it and elevating uh, the sort of decision-making of what to do to take care of those that they love in a very, uh, an incredibly brave way, an incredibly sort of smart way, was very refreshing to watch and very effective to get you as much as you can, even, again, as a... uh, uh, a, a cis white dude watching this thing sort of getting into as much of a headscape uh, headspace as this movie can possibly get me like into what these women are thinking and feeling and i think that is precisely the reason why we have movies <laughs> uh I, so yeah again i i haven't i haven't watched a film in a long time where i'm like oh geez i wish this was longer and I kind of had that here. I think this movie's a breezy like hour forty seven, which is totally fine. Like it's not I'm not complaining that it's not longer. I'm just like when it was done and triumphant and wonderful, I I actually thought to myself, like, oh, I could have watched that for a little longer. Like like the the process of their debate, and it might be because I'm just a sucker for for theological debate, mm. uh, was fascinating to me. So that was sort of like the icing on the cake in front, you know, on top of all of the the meaningful stuff I mentioned before. Yeah, uh, let's. I mean, we should talk uh, specific and details um, uh, uh, of this film because I think there's a really interesting play that's done here in the division between um, rage, forgiveness, docileness, and um, a, a sort of um, inertia for change that 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 that, that could, could come around. And again, really. The thing I couldn't stop thinking about more, and it's actually, uh, I, th- this film actually crystallized a kind of thesis that I have about the films of 2022 that I want to discuss a little bit more when we do our Best of 2022 episode. Yeah, don't um, spoil it. But but there was this, this hint of this idea that I, I felt was really crystallized here, uh, and again, I'll talk about it in, in relation to other films, but specifically here is like, how do we form a new world? Like, what does the new world look like to us? And what could it? What could, what is the possibilities that could be? Are we going to repeat the same mistakes? What are the dangers inherent in forming a new world? Um, are, you know, like is this a folly? Um, and isn't it safer just to to accept the the problems that we know and try to reform the world that we know and understand as it exists right now, rather than break and create a whole new one for ourselves? And so, again, when you think about the Mennonite community, and particularly the women as they're portrayed in this film. Uh, by the way, years ago, uh, I did a trip to Lan- uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and we did, it's not Mennonites, but we went to an Amish family's home. And there was a sort of thing you could do, was we did a bike tour, and they were like, oh, at the end of it, you can go into an Amish family's house and... Um, um, and they, you know, have dinner with them and, and chat with them and kind of, you know, you, you're sort of in their world for uh, a little bit. And it was really, it was really eye opening in terms of like the rules that are at play and how it, it seems works. weird to be like an additional bike tour thing. Yeah, no, well, uh, Lancaster, uh, so Lancaster is a, is a, uh, predominantly Amish community. No, and I know. It just feels weird. Like going a bike tour then like, so you're paying to have dinner with an Amish family. Well, you, you do your bike tour, and at the end of it, there's a there's a family who owns a huh. farm at the end there, and, and they will uh, happily um, make you dinner um, huh. at the end of it. Okay. And, and, and we, we sat with them, and it was delightful, and uh, probably the best bread I've ever eaten in my life, by the way. Um, but also, uh, the children uh, were amazing, and they were fascinated by my son. They, they just, <laughs> we're sidetracking here. Um, they... The children, as they talked to my son and played with him, he was he was much younger than he was only maybe two years old. Um, they were rolling around on the grass, and the children were like, and he and he's trying, you know, as a as a two year old trying to explain to them that he doesn't have grass where he lives, and they were like really sad about this. So they at the end of the night, the children came to us and they had taken they'd ripped out grass out of the ground oh. and then wrapped it up in a bag and said here here's some grass you can take home and we sprinkled <laughs> it on our on our on our balcony uh, when we That's got very here sweet. it is very sweet um i actually uh growing sorry now i'm just gonna tell an amish story yeah. myself uh my grandparents used to have a farm in uh, upstate new york right 
And uh, when I went up there, there wasn't a lot of young people around there except for the Amish kids. So I used to play when I was a little kid. I used to play with the Amish uh, yeah. kids quite a bit. Uh, and I have very lovely memories of that. But also, like, you know when you look back at things in your childhood um, and you 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 don't notice there's problems? Right. Uh, but then you look back and you're like, oh, uh, there's definitely... I, I I can glean a few things, and again, it's all conjecture in my brain. But like, there there was some there was some wonderful things, and and I think some poor things for the kids that I used to know uh, growing up out there. So like, um, yeah, it's it's interesting. It like look, this is not an indictment on any any group at all. It's like every group has their wonderful bits and their terrible bits. Uh, present company very much included. So like, uh, I don't know. It, it, that was something else that just sort of struck with me because I, I kept finding myself thinking back to uh, the children I used to play with. Right. Uh, and and I don't know. It, that that sort of rung a little bit. Uh, yeah, a little uh, bit extra, and we should also really point out that the Amish are not the same as the Mennonites. Uh, of course, the, but but the, the 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 I more mean from the perspective of a group that is entirely foreign and that you cannot understand in the moment, right? Uh, and looking in on that, like this film kind of lets you do. Of course, but but then as we kind of talked about with Hassan's email in terms of foreign films, is like. Most, you know, like like in, like I was saying before, most films for me are foreign films. Or most films are foreign. And this is ostensibly like kind of like a foreign film, which is what was amazing about it is that at the same time as like understanding fully that this is not my world and I don't really understand it, I also had both an empathy for the amount of love that the, these women have for their world, you know. And yeah. th th there was never more evident... Um, you know, the, the famous uh, Sting song is like, I hope the Russians love their children, too. Uh, there's a sequence where Jesse Buckley plays Marish, uh, has to go, you know, says, oh, I need to give my daughter penicillin. And they're asking, where did you get penicillin? Or where did you get antibiotics? Yeah. And they cut to a scene of her saying she walked one and a half days uh, to get her antibiotics with her on her back. And again, that that image, that single image, um, when I first became a parent, there was this, you know, you read stories about other kids dying. Um, you know, you, you just, as a parent, your your focus and your predominant focus in life is thinking about how will you protect your children from sure. the worst things that can happen. And there was a story that I'd read about uh, a mother who had taken her child, you know, very young child to daycare and the child died at daycare. And she wrote this essay about it. And I just remember this one line that she said, which was that she had orientated her life towards work and everything that work had meant, which means that, you know, she had returned to work within two months or something like that and put her baby, a two-month-old baby, into daycare. Um, and she said now if she could make that choice again, she would walk around homeless or she would walk around with nothing except her child on, you know, the ends of the earth with her child on her back as long as her child was happy and she could be with it. Um, and this movie conjured that image for me in a very real way and in with the same sense of feeling, which is that, uh, especially, um, when you see, uh, a mother and their child, I think Denzel Washington said this line as well, by the way, I'm full of sidetracks today. Uh, Denzel Washington said this line, which is that, uh, a baby's first love is their mother and a mother's last love is their child. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a sentimental line, but I love it. I, I, I love it and I believe it. And it was like, and seeing Marish walk through that, you know, barefoot with her child for two days, uh, even though it's like a 10 second sequence of the movie, solidified both the rage at what has happened to her. Like she is the, she is the character who is advocating for we must leave. We cannot stay and fuck these people. Like, you know, like, you know, these men, how th these monsters have done this thing to us and we must fight them. And we even see her attack uh, someone. Oh, that uh, wasn't Jesse, though. That was I'm sorry. That wasn't Marish. Was it, was it Claire Fort? Salome? Salome. Um, I, I, I thought it was Marish. Uh, that was no, the... Marish wanted to stay. Oh, maybe I've got the I've got the actors around the wrong way. Claire Foy and Jess Buckley. Yeah, Marish was the one that was uh, played by Jesse Buckley. Wanted to stay and was a, and you know now we're getting into spoilers. I I, I I may have got those two actors yeah. confused. I remember thinking, oh, that's Jesse Buckley and that's Claire Foy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I may have got those two actors around the wrong way. Yep. Um, but 
the point being is that that is counteracted by Ona, played by Runa Mar- char- uh, Mara's character, who is trying to navigate both, well, what does it mean if we stay and what does it mean if we live? And if we stay, perhaps forgiveness, which is what our, what is what our religion has always taught us, is the thing that will help us through this. And then that is countered later on by this thought that, you know, the, the, the line that you uh, were mentioning before, which is that um, sometimes forgiveness can be misconstrued as permission. Mm-hmm. And I think that was like, again, another devastating line that uh, I listened to an interview with Sarah Polly where they talked about how that was not a line that was in the, in the book that was came through the process of adaptation. And, and it was really a startling line. And I guess, I guess in all of this, why I got so excited about this movie, and again, I think it's a perfect movie, is that the ideas in this movie are volatile. They're like, they're, there's just a, a weight to this movie in terms of like what it is the, this, this, these group of women are trying to navigate. You know, it is life and death. Mm-hmm. And it is done through the eloquence of language and ideas being bandied around and being challenged and also respectfully challenged by other characters. You know, this, this, you know, Salome's, Salome's idea of rage being countered with love. Um, and the idea of like, well, you know, uh, should we take the boys with us, for example, like what age do the cutoff of the boys come into play? And Ben Winshaw's character, uh, August sort of delivers this monologue about like, what it means to be a 13, what, what a 13-year-old boy is as a creature. Uh, you know, like, they are dangerous, they are full of ideas and tenderness, but they can be taught, but they are, you know, like, um, without care for the, for the other people's feelings. And it's like... Uh, uh, the that was a really pow- good speech, too, because, like, he was, he's basically like, hey, uh, yeah, is it safe to bring them? No. Is it worth it to bring them for you and them? Probably, yeah. Like, it, like it was a really interesting kind of like dichotomy because the question was, is it safe to bring the older boys? And he yeah. definitively says no in the well, beginning he, of that. I think thing. He, I think what he's saying is that as a teacher of boys that age, he is fully aware that they are capable of the monstrosities that yeah. these people are trying to run away from. But he also, uh, and this is not from him, but I think, um, I think uh, Rooney Mara's character mentions this earlier on, which is that perhaps we should acknowledge that there is a system that has created this and makes victims of the boys too, and we are all victims of the system. And again, if you think about, I, I, just for me, the second I stop and think about what it is these women are doing. These are women that have been that that I, I was thinking about how to word this earlier today because I was like I, I was I was using the word indoctrinated because that is the the verbiage that we talk about with religions and with uh, in groups. However, I don't think that's the right word in this case because this is a group of women with agency who are were born into uh, um, a worldview and lifestyle that may be counterintuitive to them, but it is their worldview and lifestyle. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Can you, from the definition of indoctrination, if you are raised from childhood, like <laughs> developed into a society, is that indoctrination or is indoctrination the changing of what you grew I, up from? I believe, from? I, 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 you know, you don't have to look far from, um, from, for example, children. The, 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 the phrase indoctrination has a negative connotation to it, which is why I was hesitant to use it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you would use it in the case of, say, children who've been uh, raised in families that are racist or, you know, like, you know, Nazi um, uh, sympathizers or something like that. It would be fair to call their upbringing in those cases indoctrination, despite it might fitting the same criteria. And I think the the word indoctrination comes to when the worldview causes harm. And it's hard to argue that the worldview in this particular case... Actually, sorry to interrupt. I was going to say, it's not the definition actually isn't that. It's it's the process of teaching a person or group to accept a set of beliefs uncritically. So that 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 word actually moves a lot of of my thought process around it right. uh, because it doesn't really matter when it's if whether you, you can if, critically engage whether you can yeah. critically critically analyze it or not. Sorry. Yeah. So um, and and for example, uh, a, a member of my family uh, does work in third world countries where she um, has to look at, uh, look at 
uh, communities that are traditionally patriarchally run and to the point where the women themselves actually believe in the order of patriarchy. And, uh, you know, uh, one of the examples is uh, communities where female circumcision is, in, is, is uh, encouraged. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the challenge that she has is that is, is not uh, countering the narrative of the men in that community. It's countering the narrative of the women who have been raised in that community and believe that it is part of their, you know, like their right and worldview to continue with the process of female circumcision. Sure. Um, so the point there being, again, if we think about what it is these women are doing, these are women in this, in this particular story who don't know how to read or write in modern culture. So the film is set in 2010, mm-hmm. um, who don't uh, have an understanding of their place in the world, let alone the geopolitics of where their world actually even is. Yeah. These are women that if you objectively look at it from the outside, have been um, have been taught to not have agency. And yet, they come together in this conversation with agency, with empathy, with respect from the place they came forth, and with a healthy set of resentment and anger for where they come from, and choose to, and, you know, to get into spoilers choose to break that now that is a movie trope and as you mentioned in the real story that may not have happened yeah. but but this but is the movie all sets that again, up too. but this is all perfectly encapsulated and again why i think this is a perfect movie in the opening line yep. which is a beautiful just just absolutely devastatingly beautiful encapsulation of why this film exists which is that the line is this is this is a work of pure female imagination which is both a repudiation of the of the way in which these women have been treated being told that their um that their um trauma is a, is part of their imagination and also saying it doesn't matter what you believe about what happened to these women or where they come from what matters is the conversation that they they're about to have mm-hmm. and the decisions that they make from it and this movie this movie into unto itself is part of that action. Now, it was interesting. I was having a conversation with a, with a colleague earlier today, and I said, oh, you know, they were asking me what movie you did. And I said, Women Talking. And he said, is that a real movie? And I said, yes. And then I told him what it was about. And, he, and I was like, yeah, look, when we come into this conversation about the Oscars, the, you know, like the interesting thing about uh, a movie like Two Leslie, uh, The Woman King, or... Um, or women talking is one of the powers. One of the, the the power of the Oscar nomination, or the power of the Oscars, is to bring a spotlight to films that we may not have had, or may not uh, have been, you know, uh, seeking out. And sure. and it's this, inc- you know, that 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 in itself is one of the reasons why I love the Oscars. Is that I will seek out the films, usually the best foreign films, again, which is always uh, uh, an embarrassment of riches in terms of like films you can see from other parts of the world. Um, and and you know. When we think about what the title of this movie is, I there's a part of my marketing brain that goes, man, hard sell saying, you know, like what's playing at the movie, the fast and the furious or women talking. And it's like that is a that's a hard sell. But that is defiantly what this movie is. And that is defiantly also one of the most exhilarating parts of, of this movie is that it is about women talking through ideas that are triumphant and beautiful and vital. And that's why I love it. Yeah, I feel like I feel like the title in and of itself is sort of a blanket statement of what the movie is trying to get across too. Like I, I don't know if I could think of a better title for it. Uh, but I think I think it's kind of perfect. It also like <laughs> I get what you're saying about like oh the Fast and Furious or or women talking from like, a like you can understand if those two movies are playing in a movie theater. But what I'm saying is. Anyone who is going to, how do I put this? The the way that people engage with films based on titles, this is going to work precisely, incredibly well for the people that will will take something away from this movie. Like I I think I think it encapsulates uh, honestly the, not only the experience of what you're watching, but like the point of the film. Um, Whereas, uh, so it, it's so funny, just even using that example, The Fast and the Furious doesn't really encapsulate what that movie is. Yeah, there's fast cars. Are people angry? 
I, I guess. Like, you know what I mean? So, like, I, I don't know. I, 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 I dig it. I, I like the title. Also, uh, for, for a film that is about this big conversation, uh, you know, that takes place predominantly, I'd say, like, 80% in one barn, um, with, with the women de- debating what they want to do, there's also... Uh, a, it was a really nice sort of uh, also smattering of like w- the the differences of of people in that space. Uh, specifically, uh, the character of Melvin, mm-hmm. yeah. who I really enjoyed. Might uh, encapsulate the title as well. Yeah, yeah. Like the 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 way that they integrate that character, um, played by August Winter, who I think they did an amazing an amazing job. Uh, also, weirdly enough. Uh, I guess we're what we're fifty yeah fifty seven minutes and I can sort of bring this up as sort of an end thing. Uh, there's two there's two interesting bits. Uh, one is when uh, uh, Salome's character, I believe, uh, can't convince her son to go, <laughs> so she uses the same chemical compound that was used on them to drug him to take him. I we don't have enough time in a podcast to get into like the 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 various meanings of what that sort of represents, but it made a more believable and complex and and not entirely what, what, clean uh, what uh, narrative. What um what what was challenging about that? Or she used the implementation of the very way that she was harmed on her son. She took away her son's agency. Now, granted, the the complicated thing is he's a child. He probably doesn't know better, et cetera. But he's also a teenage boy. He might be able to overpower, run away, et cetera. I'm saying it's a very complicated issue that I'm not going to debate the morals of. I'm just saying it added a, a layer of realism and and uh, and and intricacy and not entirely uh, a clean sort of uh, narrative against that. And then also the the thing that I really loved too. Did it? Sorry, did it not make sense why she did it? From a character perspective, it made entire sense. I'm talking okay. about the morality. Like everything else that the, the characters in this movie do, I feel like is entirely a thousand trillion percent justifiable. Right. Like the the women in the group, not the not the horrors that happened to them. I'm saying there's a complex narrative for a character at play when you use the very implement that was used to scar you on your child for their betterment in your opinion i'm saying that's a complicated that's a that's a complicated move and i appreciate that the film did it right um but the other thing was when when august tries to give the minutes Mm. of the meetings back uh to uh salam and she goes no 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 you were supposed to keep the minutes like and it's it's a double sort of wordplay of like yes he's writing the minutes down but like this was meant to be helpful for possibly men to understand what the fuck we're like talking about well like there there was a very cool sort of like double meaning moment that i really liked also i i think there's something else which is that the it's either a a sort of creation of the dramatic thrust of the movie but also the idea that the women are very aware that what they're doing is historic yeah and and they must archive it oh you know what though i don't know well yeah i guess no you're right you're right you're right but i in that moment i didn't read that as that right because they keep the pictures on the wall and say these will be documented and in fact the very first line of the well you know one of the first lines of narration uh the daughter is saying uh we didn't know how to read but we learned that we the in those days what democracy was, yeah. you know, how to create a democracy. And so you're sort of getting this idea that this was historic and needed to be archived and kept and stored so that others could see what it meant. And the final moment of the film is looking at the child that is a product of the trauma that has happened mm-hmm. and says that this world will be better for you. Yeah. And um and again, that to me was more than the characters, but it was like a defiant act of what the film was. The film was saying to its audience, we can make a better world for the people that come after us. And, um, you know, 
uh, again, as I think about, you know, making a film, going, uh, create, you know, making a film right now, one of the things Sarah Polly talked about was that, you know, she's, ha- she's got three kids and the division of labor when it comes to male filmmakers versus female filmmakers mm-hmm. is not the same. And, you know, she, um, Frances McDormand optioned the book. And so this was a sort of a female driven, um, yeah. process of, of making this film. So, so that was part of like that process was including the, the kind of, labors that are involved in motherhood being part of the work here so you know the children were brought onto onto um set and being part of that world and and also making it kind of an environment where um it was acceptable to be you know raising a child at the same time and also like acknowledging that that is part of a person's life and therefore uh we should incorporate that into our working hours and our and our structure and everything like that mm. so the film itself from its very foundation to me felt like an act of love the story despite dealing with trauma and rage itself was a beautiful soliloquy about the power of love and and having uh, a perspective and break and and a true act of heroism, like just a, a she, yeah, again, I I found it so you know when we we had that conversation I think a while back about what makes cinema vital or what makes movies vital, and this to me was a vital experience. And then even last week when we talked about a film that's as noble as uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. We talked about uh, the idea that um, while an entirely noble cause, one that, you know, um, says it particularly well, um, was one that was, you know, somewhat lost, was a cause that was ultimately lost on us because we felt that it was a preaching to the choir and also messages that we've already heard before. This to me, again, you know, I explained this to my colleague uh, before and he was like, that sounds so specific. Like, that's such a specific story. I must see this now. And it was like, and, and, I, and I said to him, I think this is just absolutely one of the most staggeringly vital pieces of cinema I've seen in a while. And, you know, um, in the pantheon of the great movies, the movie that this kind of will conjure echoes of is Sidney Lumet's 12 Angry Men. You know, a movie about Hmm. men sitting around in a jury room debating the fate of uh, ostensibly a woman. Um, And this is... 12 Fast and Furious Men. Yeah, 12 angry men. Yeah, and versus women talking. And and th- there is a part of me that goes, the spirit of what this movie is doing makes it bigger than the conversation about, like, where does it rank in the Oscars? Or, you know, it's gr- what I think is great is the fact that because it was ranked, uh, it, because it was nominated for Best Picture, you and I said, hey, let's go watch that movie. And that reminds me of when I was a child and Dances with Wolves won Best, mm-hmm. uh, Best Film and my brother woke me up and said, hey, this movie won Best Picture, let's go. I'd never heard of it before. I knew nothing about it. And I suddenly was in a movie theater seeing it. Um, so, uh, you know, I just... I I walked away absolutely stuck. It is it's it's also a beautifully beautifully choreographed movie. It's um incredibly cinematic. The color grading and the look of this film are just uh it, it it's amazing oppressive. because yeah, what's that? Yeah, oppressive. Yeah, but it's amazing because it's in this brightly lit um, you know, uh, summer green, you know, like feel that we've all seen in cinema. But filmed and color graded in a way that makes ensures that while we feel that there is beauty here that we are no less in a place where important historical um uh, important epochal moment is happening and we and we feel the weight of it yeah the the color grading in the barn is is that and then everything outside of the barn is like purposely sort of like oppressive and gray even though the cinematography is sort of beautiful and were things we're used to seeing in green which i really sort of liked like the barn was this 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 cultivation this group this coming together of ideas and debate was what was going to save these women from a place that was no longer safe for, for them and it's also funny it's a funny movie yeah there's funny there's funny bits yeah this it's funny they, they, they these women laugh and they share joy with each other and there's a line that even encapsulated it where they said sometimes i think uh people laugh as much as they want to as much as they want to cry um and i i i just i love that there was like uh as much as the film was navigating really complex issues it was it never felt heavy-handed yeah it never felt oppressive to me it felt uh, effortless and light and well took and it's and again 
Um, yeah, staggering. I, I just a staggering movie. I, my, my one, and again, doesn't really matter, and maybe it was my equipment that I was watching it on, uh, but I, if I have one tiny gripe, the only thing that ever knocked me out of it mm-hmm. was any time there was diegetic music. Uh, well, I like, felt like oh oh when, what the them singing, well both when them them singing oh, my and God. and uh, not not that the them singing wasn't at problem it made total sense for the thing but the way that there was it was them singing and when the census taker was driving around playing the song oh my God uh, really yeah because the way it was mixed and it could have been my my situation but like they kept cutting to far away shots of this diegetic thing but the music still felt very close. So like they set up they set up these two musical things. I think it might even be three, depending, both from singing in the barn and the car driving with the speakers. Oh and for whatever reason, I was like, wait, why is it like it it was like it was almost like it was diegetic and not diegetic at the same time, which is probably the point. Yeah. <laughs> but uh for whatever reason, it it like it it bucked me ever so slightly. And it didn't it didn't take long for me to get back because the rest of the movie I felt like was absolute uh, oh, a fucking gem. Singing. But like sorry, they're singing that song uh, Near is Thy God to Me. Uh, I actually oh uh, beautiful rendition beautiful uh, song yeah. the the shots and the way the mix was handled around it was something that I was like huh <laughs> you know uh, so uh, yeah okay um, yeah. Uh, that's my one thing and that's my one <laughs> thing uh, this movie is uh, uh, an absolute phenom wonderful cast great direction cinematography top notch it's it's really beautiful and I'm very glad that this is where the commercials of the Oscars work for me I think you kind of said this already but like it is a big commercial. This got this in front of us. This is a good thing. There is good things that can come from these from from the Oscars. So yeah, I dug's it. All right. This has been the only podcast about the film Women Talking. Shahir, when you are not talking, quoting to yeah yeah <laughs> sure when you are not talking, where can folks find you? You can uh, find me remaining silent on my website at www.shahirdaud.com. That's S H A H I R D A U D. Matt, when you are uh, occupying the space normally reserved for women in this conversation, where can people find you? Oh, you can find me at my website, just uh, taking up too much room, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com, my life and works, or Skelch with the number four periods in Instagram or PSN, and of course, MSK, uh, Ember MSK on Twitter. Also, uh, please check out the Good Works of Drink over at Extra Credits. By the time this drops, I believe our Frederick the Great series will be over and we'll be moving on to John Brown. Are you familiar with John Brown? Uh, John Brown is the abolitionist who... Um, uh, who chose violence. Who chose violence, yeah. Uh, which is a fascinating story and formulaic to uh, the spaces we live today. Um, dark story, but important story. Um, Recently uh, played by uh, Ethan Hawke in a t- t- yes. HBO show about him. But um, yep. actually, to that point, Ethan Hawke has this sort of uh, quote uh, that I thought a lot about just in terms of... Um, the Oscars and what have you, which is, uh, which he said, it, it's been floating around the internet for a little bit, but he said something along the lines of, um, and I'm par- if I'm paraphrasing this incorrectly to the nationality, I apologize, but he says, in America, we have this strange thing, which was that we must reduce everything to a competition. So mm. we talk about box office, we talk about, um, you know, it's number one place, what awards it won. And uh, I think to me, it was never more evident of how foolish that is when you think about a film like Women Talking. Yeah. Which is that, who cares? Yeah. Well, in a way, though, it, again, I go back. The, that very contest is what got it in front of more people, which is helpful. Right, but um, then to you know to have that conversation about like box office receipts and uh, which is was a conversation we always engage in. Um, yeah, but 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 why it's 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 moot in this point. Sometimes yeah. some might even say, weirdly enough, when when talking about that stuff, it means there's less to talk about of what's going on with the actual movie. Yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, anyway, we'll be talking. Speaking of things that we uh, will have a lot or little to talk about, we'll be doing our top ten next week, followed by an Oscar episode. Yeah, I guess so. We should we should find a guest for that one. We should uh, get someone in uh, to at least talk about the fashion or talk about the uh, talk about the uh, the stagecraft of the Oscars, which uh, I remember Steven Soderbergh directed it one year. Uh, and that was a hot topic. I, I never watch these things. I never actually watch them. I just well, kind of, you know, if something like the slap happens, I'll sure I'll watch that. But I go to I go to the parties. I like talking to people about the movies while I'm there and, and just sort of seeing, you know, it, it, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for a, a reason for an event to, yeah. to gather. So anyway, we will talk at you next week once again. Yeah. It never stops. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.